Hi, I'm Jonathan, and I'm excited to share with you just a few highlights of how God has used us to impact lives this year. In April, we hosted approximately 150 leaders from around the country for our first Sexual Integrity Leadership Summit. And this event laid the foundation for what we hope will become a strong collaboration of leaders and ministries to equip local churches in championing God's design and purpose for sex in their communities. Future summits are already being planned and scheduled around the country. We're excited about that. And the new Grace-Based Recovery Small Group Curriculum was released in August. Now this resource is designed to help people suffering from addiction and those close to them to understand God's grace and why it's the only path to true freedom. Monthly training webinars are being held to educate leaders on how to best use this curriculum. We also launched two new courses on our Pure Life Academy training platform. Made for Purity is a course to help men and women understand and apply God's design for sexuality in their lives. And this is a useful course for churches to generate healthy conversations around the topic of sexuality. Parenting for Purity is our comprehensive course for parents to engage their children from ages 5 to 18 on all kinds of issues related to sexuality. It's a great resource to help parents navigate this hyper-sexualized culture. As 2018 closes out, will you help us finish strong and start 2019 with positive momentum? Your partnership is vital to us fulfilling our mission to engage, equip, and expand the Christian pure sex leadership community. We really are better together. You can join with us at give.bebroken.com or just call 210-822-8201. Thanks so much for your time. May God bless you today. Keep pressing on. Good day, radio listeners. Welcome to this edition of the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. We're glad that you've decided to join us. Uh, my name is Jonathan, and I'm excited to be able to have on the line with us MJ Dennis. Uh, she's a counselor, and you're in the Austin area. Is that right, MJ? Yes. I work at Crossroads Counseling Associates in Austin, Texas. Yes. Okay. I know that we, I knew that we had met when I came to the conference uh, earlier this year up in Austin. I couldn't remember if you were actually mm -hmm. working in the Austin area and come uh, as, a, as a guest there from somewhere else, but we're glad to have you on the program. We're going to be um, talking about this issue of therapeutic separation, but before I get to that, listeners, I want to let you know, as we do periodically, that we are a listener-supported program. What that means is the only way that you're hearing us or seeing us if you're watching the video is because we've just had faithful and generous partners come alongside and, and give to this ministry. And as we close out this year, we have a specific $5,000 need. Um, and this would allow us, this specific need of $5,000 would actually allow us to expand into a couple new markets in the U.S., kind of through the Midwest on some traditional radio stations in 2019. So if you'd like to come alongside and partner and help us expand in those regions, just go to puresexradio.com and click on the donate button and you can learn how you can uh, give to that need. Well, MJ, I'm excited about um, having you on here because this is a topic, this idea of therapeutic separation, that not a whole lot of people 
number one, know what it is. Number two, know that it's an option for their relationship. Um, and number three, how to go about doing that. So before we get into the nuts and bolts of what this is and, and how it can benefit a relationship, why don't you just introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of let them know who you are, what your background is, uh, how you got into the work you're doing, and just kind of what you bring to this topic from a professional standpoint. Sure. Um, so I'm MJ Dennis. Um, I have a bunch of letters after my name that don't mean much to most people, but I'll tell you what they mean. Um, I'm an LPC, and that stands for a licensed professional counselor. I'm also an LMFT, and that stands for a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, when I went to grad school, I, um, I knew I wanted to work with women. I discovered as I was going to grad school, I loved working with men. And then I discovered I also really, really love working with couples. And so I decided to pursue education to not only learn how to work with individuals, but I really wanted to work with couples as well. Um, I also decided um, I wanted to be a sex therapist. So I have the letters CST after my name, and that stands for I'm an ASEC certified sex therapist. Um, I'm also a CCPS, and that stands for a certified clinical partner specialist. And what that means is um, I, I leaned into becoming educated and um, skilled in working with partners of sex addicts. Um, how I got there, um, working at Crossroads Counseling Associates, um, we are affiliated with the Affair Recovery Center. And um, the Affair Recovery Center does a, a weekend marriage intensive for couples who've experienced infidelity. And when people come to Austin and they do this weekend intensive and they realize um, the counselors who run the weekend know what they're doing and are experts in the field of infidelity recovery, they often want to come to Crossroads and do counseling. And so I was seeing in my practice um, two things. I was, I was hearing people who've experienced what we call therapy-induced trauma, where they would go to therapy and actually be traumatized by the therapeutic process if they ended up with a counselor who wasn't really skilled in how to help infidelity recovery. Um, and so I knew I needed to become educated in how to do this well because I didn't, I didn't want to hurt anybody. Right? There's a do-no-harm mandate. Right, so, exactly. Um, but then I also was seeing patterns of betrayal behaviors, um, sometimes compulsive sexual betrayal. And at first I didn't know what I was seeing. And so I needed to learn about sex addiction or out of control sexual behavior. And as I was leaning into my education, um, I recognized there was this huge need for therapists who knew how to treat the partner's trauma. So I found a lady named Barb Steffens um, she wrote, co-wrote a book called Your Sexually Addicted Spouse. And Barb started an organization called APSATS, and their goal is to train therapists in how to treat trauma. And so I leaned into that and, um, and became a partner trauma specialist. Mm -hmm. 
So that's quite a journey. <laughs> that's a lot of education. <laughs> yes, uh, a lot of schooling. <laughs> I, would I would love to hear, you know, just because it's interesting. I always think that the, the route by which people get into this kind of work is always fascinating to me. But I'd love to hear also just what was the heart behind it? Because it's kind of like, you know, when people have a desire to get into any kind of counseling, usually there's at the heart of that some kind of desire to help other people. But then how does that desire to then help other people lead you into something so specific as all of these issues with sexual brokenness? And because that's, you know, a lot of people that I meet that are counselors, um, they either have kind of, maybe they're a little bit more generic in their practice or they they specialize in things that are not as, how shall I put it, messy <laughs> as dealing with the sexual issues that people struggle with. So kind of tell us how you got into that field specifically. Sure. Um, it wasn't a straight path. I guess I'll say that. Um, so I am a survivor of childhood sexual trauma. Mm. Um, as an incest survivor, I had to do a lot of heal of my own healing. Yeah. Um, I also experienced sexual assault when I was in college on two different occasions. And so I worked with a series of amazing therapists over my healing journey. And so that's how I knew, you know, I knew I wanted to work with women almost like a pay it forward mm. because people helped me heal. I really wanted to help others heal. Um, but getting into the field of sex addiction recovery, I never saw this coming. Yeah. Um, and so, but God kept placing people in front of me. And when I saw who was coming in the door, you know, my heart is to help people and not harm. And so it really led me to figure out where to get educated and, and how to lean in. Um, being a trauma survivor, um, here, here's something that I, that I learned. Um, I'm going to use my hands. So in a relationship, let's just imagine um, a man and a woman come together and they say, we're going to be partners. But then let's imagine that there is some sexual abuse that happens. There then becomes a power dynamic, right? Where one person has power or control over the other. And now it's not an even playing field. There's a power differential. So what I see in my practice is that many times when someone is down here and they've been sexually abused, they will do things to try to gain their power back. And so I often see, especially um, with women, if they've been sexually assaulted, they will then go through a period of promiscuity in an attempt to heal. It's an attempt to get power back, but they end up re-victimizing. They, they victimize other people, yeah. maybe having sex without really caring for them and re-victimizing themselves. And so as I got into this field of sex addiction recovery, um, and, and really focused on the partner, I could see similarities in some of the behaviors I was seeing in this field that, that were in line with some of the behaviors I even had when I was really, really traumatized mm -hmm. and kind of acting out in my trauma. Well, and, I, and asking the question about kind of how you got to where you were, 
I, I was almost certain that there was going to be a personal component because I really, it's rare for me to ever find anybody in this space of ministry that doesn't have a personal connection to it in some way, either through their own hurt, you know, their own either addiction or abuse or something like that, or someone very close to them having gone through this, that there's a personal connection. And, and what I actually love about what you're sharing is that, um, is that you, you have responded to your own story in a way that you can pay it forward. And, I, and that's what I hope our listeners hear is, I mean, there may be many of our listeners right now that they're on maybe the front end of their journey of coming out of some kind of hurt or abuse or trauma. And it can feel very hopeless in that time. You can feel very alone. You can feel very much like, as we're going to look here in terms of relationships, like there's no hope for my relationship. Nothing could, could work out. And I hope what our listeners hear is that no matter what the journey is forward, that there can be good that comes not only for you, but also through you for others. And so I hope that's what our listeners will yeah. hear as, as we unpack this issue of therapeutic separation. Because now let's talk about this. Obviously, when you're talking about things like trauma, abuse, addiction in anybody's history, that is going to have very real impact on relationships, right? Yes. So what happens then when a couple gets to a point where they think there's an impasse, like the, the brokenness is too heavy, the hurt is too strong, and they are looking at, listen, we're done. What, what does that, well, let me just have you explain what a therapeutic separation is and maybe what kind of uh, um, relationships this is a good fit for? Is that a good way to put it? Yes. Um, so I want to back up just a little bit. As you were just talking, I was thinking about the word ambivalence. Hmm. Um, when I see couples who have been impacted by sex addiction, very often they come in the door and both people feel ambivalence. And so I'll often, I use a whiteboard in my practice and I'll draw a pair of feet on the whiteboard and I'll put the word in under one foot and out under the other foot. And I'll talk about how normal natural it is for both partners to kind of move back and forth between in and out of the relationship and be, you know, 50% in and 50% out. But two minutes later, they might only be 5% in and 95% out. And three minutes later, they're hundred percent in and 0% out. And that ambivalence is, is just expected, that that's part of, well, that's normal, natural, and, and it makes sense given that recovery from sex addiction is really hard, and it takes a toll on a relationship. Now, sometimes couples will, will get to a place where what's happening in their relationship feels overwhelming, it's unmanageable, um, it's traumatic. Sometimes being in the house, um, both people in the house just becomes a pressure cooker. Mm. And despite the couple's best effort at uh, trying to manage it and trying to move toward healing, sometimes that's just, it's too much and they need to take a break. Um, but they don't want to get divorced. They need some kind of way to ease the pressure cooker that they're in. And I think that's when a therapeutic separation might be in order. So how would you define 
a therapeutic separation? Um, a therapeutic separation would be a guided separation under the care of a, a therapist who can talk with the couple about the boundaries um, and the expectations for the separation um, with a, a guideline for coming back together. And so with my couples, I'll very often make a diamond. You know, we're, we are moving towards separation for the purposes of coming back together. Mm -hmm. It's not to keep moving apart and ending up in divorce. The whole goal is to come back together. And I think it's very important too to note here that I think sometimes when people hear separation or they hear, because there's always such a pressure that's been built up either in reality or in their own mind about the anxieties in their relationship and the pressure and the weight that they're feeling in their relationship that a lot of times when they, when either or both of the uh, partners in the couple hear this idea of separation, they think of it as like, Oh, a break in the sense of, I'm just going to get away from the pressure and away from the anxieties. What I'm hearing you say is um, recognize that what's happening in this guided separation is each of the partners is going to work. Yes. <laughs> it's not like, you well, it's know, not permission out, to be single. out of sight, out of mind, like, like out of sight, out of mind is not a real problem. No, you're actually separating for the very purpose of individually working through certain things. Right. So there's a goal and there mm -hmm. needs to be, you're right, boundaries and things. So why don't you take, take us through then maybe some of the reasons why a therapeutic separation could be beneficial to a couple? Yes, you know, when I was thinking about this topic um, and why do a therapeutic separation, I came up with five reasons that came to the top of the list for why people might do a therapeutic separation. Um, so the first reason that I came up with is safety. Mm -hmm. um, if there is physical harm, of course, separation might be in order. If, if there's domestic violence happening, somebody might be physically or emotionally or um, psychologically abused. Of course, that would be reason enough for a separation. But I'm talking about kind of the couple's safety. Um, sometimes I see with my clients, they have these patterns of, of interactions. Um, and when sex addiction impacts a couple, sometimes I'll see, um, in this example, the husband has a sex addiction and the wife is the partner. Um, I'll see these gentlemen trying so hard to do two big tasks. On one hand, they're trying really hard to manage their addiction. On the other hand, they're trying to create um, emotional intimacy with their betrayed spouse who's grieving, mm -hmm. who's hurt, and who's traumatized, and often has emotions that are all over the place. And sometimes this is so, so incredibly challenging. Um, as they're trying to do these two giant tasks, um, very often the partner now has trauma she's trying to heal from and lots and lots of safety seeking behaviors. So sometimes I see these partners who start trying to manage their husband's behavior and start trying to manage their husband's recovery. And so very often in the safety seeking behavior, she might say, 
I need you to go to therapy. I need you to go to groups. I need to know how many calls you have with your sponsor and lots of um, invasive behaviors where yeah. she's just trying to create safety, but she gets in there trying to manage his sobriety. And sometimes that can be really problematic. Um, it can create um, kind of a parent child dynamic where now the wife becomes the mom right. and the husband becomes the child. And now that, that goes terribly. Now he resents being parented and she resents parenting. And sometimes that becomes such a pattern. We have to, we need a separation to try to break that um, from happening and create some emotional safety for the couple. Yeah. Sometimes we say, we, we put it this way. We're like, um, a, a wife needs to be a wife and not a mom or a cop. So it's yes. like, you know, being able to remove those other hats from her of feeling like she needs to be a mom or a cop because, because it's not only, like you said, not, not only can be detrimental to the relationship or detrimental to him, it's detrimental to her because just the amount of energy that then is taken away from maybe the care that she needs for herself Yes. Uh, in terms of her own healing, um, because now she's pouring all of that energy into kind of managing him. Um, and you're right, there's a legitimate need there for safety, but maybe the, the way uh, by which a woman's trying to get that is an unhealthy dynamic. What else is there that might be some reasons for a therapeutic separation? Um, one of the things that I noted, so safety was first. Um, disrupting unhealthy or unmanageable patterns, which I kind of touched on that. That was another um, reason for therapeutic separation. And I like to call a therapeutic separation a reset button. Mm -hmm. That this is, this is not an invitation for either to act as though they are single and not married. It's not right. an invitation for somebody to act out or for more betrayal. It's an opportunity to figure out how to be connected while not living in the same place by, um, you know, sometimes a therapeutic separation is in the same house. Mm. Sometimes a therapeutic separation is too dwelling, um, but it's purposeful. And so we talk about how to separate these two while still maintaining connection and taking some of the pressure off of the couple's family system. Um, a third reason for a therapeutic separation um, has to do with sobriety. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen, because I often see um, couples in which the wife is so desperately seeking safety that she can become hyper-focused on his sobriety. Um, doing a therapeutic separation helps the couple figure out what each of them is responsible for. Yeah. And so in some ways it helps the wife to learn instead of focusing so much on him, like what you were saying, she now has to focus on her own healing and she has um, needs to figure out what her boundaries are and a way to be able to communicate them to her person. And don't, him, you think, and don't you think some of that is just a recognition by both parties of understanding what they can own and what they can't own. Like I've been married for almost 23 years and here's one thing I've learned. I can't own my wife's problems. Right. I mean, I can try and she could try it with, with me, but at the end of the day, it's like, no, I, I, I can try all I want to try to own what isn't actually mine. 
and it just exhausts me. And so I think what you're saying is part of the separation is helping each party to recognize where, where, where do I actually end, so to speak, and the other person begin when it comes to those areas of responsibility and ownership. And I think that's difficult. I mean, I'll, I'm not trying to make this trite, especially for the dynamic we're talking about where generally speaking, it's, you know, a husband that's been acting out and a wife that's been dealing with the, the hurt of betrayal. I'm not making this, it's not, a, it's not an easy thing. You know, because again, like you said, that betrayed spouse is so desiring safety. Yes. That, and it's part of her makeup in some ways of just saying, I, I, I want to create safety. And so therefore, she'll step outside of what she's even able to own in order to try to do that. And then it, and it does backfire because then it depletes her energy. It can, it can possibly even cause physical harm to her health. Mm -hmm. um, I've seen that happen a lot where just stress and anxiety and those kind of things can actually cause physical um, health issues. Yes. Um, as you were talking, Jonathan, I was thinking about um, Cloud and Townsend wrote a book called Boundaries. Mm -hmm. And in that book, they use um, a metaphor. They talk about, um, they use the word knapsack, um, like a backpack. Yeah. And we talk about how each person has this invisible backpack that carries all the things we are responsible for. And so as part of the therapeutic separation, it's important to talk about what's in each person's backpack. Like, what are you, husband, what are you responsible for? And wife, what are you responsible for? And talking through these responsibilities and then trying to keep them from putting their hands in each other's backpack to try to be responsible for each other. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. So let's, um, I, I, I want to have you real quickly touch on the other two reasons. And then I'd love for us to get into kind of how do you actually do, what are the big um, um, principles of how you actually do a therapeutic separation? Because we've got a few minutes left here and I want to make sure we at least touch on these and just listeners, just so you will know, we're going to provide you with a link to, the actual outline of all the stuff we're talking about here. So that if you feel like you missed something or we don't go over everything on here, you're going to have a nice outline that has more information about uh, a therapeutic separation. Yes. Um, so the other two reasons that I named for why do a therapeutic separation, one is for autonomy. Um, so the person with the addiction can learn to manage their sobriety. And so the partner learns to care for herself and not manage her husband's recovery. Right. And then the last one um, might seem a little um, uh, paradoxical. We do the separation for intimacy. And, and so the reason I say that is when we take some of the pressure off of the day-to-day -day, uh, stress of being in the home, being in the patterns that the couple is in, um, being in the dysfunction, um, really the weight of the trauma can really impact people and the, uh, the heaviness of the daily grief. Um, when we do the separation, it often lightens things a bit. And so now people, the couple actually, well, they date, yeah. right? They have to start coming back together, um, remembering why they liked each other in the first place, maybe learning why they might like each other now, now starting to have conversations about things that they couldn't talk about when the, the system was so stressed. And right into me, see, I want them to know what is each other thinking? What is each other feeling? 
what drives their behaviors, how do we create connection. And, it's, and in the therapeutic separation, if they are not being sexual, it's all about the emotional intimacy and connection that I think is so vital. You know, and what I would say on that too, is I think there's two big things that are really powerful in that in terms of the, the intimacy aspect is there is a, there's a benefit to missing your partner yes. to, to be able to start realizing I, I, I miss them. The other thing too, is then I think when you're able to kind of pull things apart and, and sort of get out of the the cloudiness of just all of the daily pressures and, and all the perceptions that are there when everything is, is heightened is you begin to sort of recalibrate and reset your value system and think, okay, now what really is important in this relationship? And I think that's helpful because you have both this longing of realizing this is a person that is, is part of me and I yeah. miss them. And maybe I can now reprioritize what's really actually valuable to me in them rather than some of the things that might have been petty. I'm not saying all of the things that can arise are petty, but I think sometimes they can then become, you know, to the point where the issue that's actually the issue is not even being addressed because now we've gone so far down the line to, I can't believe you hang, hung your shirt that way. And, you know, it's like, what, you know, we're, we're yeah. getting, we're exploding over petty things instead of really dealing with the issue. So I think it does help to recalibrate our priorities and values. Yeah, that was good insight. Yes. <laughs> so uh, briefly, how do you actually, you know, what are the key things of actually going through and doing a, a therapeutic separation? Okay. So, um, and we can just touch on these and, and again, we're going to be able to provide this for people and actually, you know what we may, we may need to do. I don't know how much time you've got MJ. We might have to have you back to do a kind of a bonus episode to really go through that. Would you prefer to do that where we could really take a little bit more time and, and actually go through this. Uh, listeners, what do you think? I think, I think our listeners would like that if, the, because I, I kind of don't want to rush this part because I do feel like, okay, we've laid the foundation of why this is important, kind of what a therapeutic separation is. We probably shouldn't cheat them on how do you actually do this, right? right. And it's not, it's not a fast process and there, there's time that needs to be spent in planning for and preparing this and talking about the logistics. And so it's not something that we just say, oh, let's just do this. And then the next day they move out. No, yeah. we want to really care for the couple well, and, right? We don't want to blow it because we, the, the goal is that they separate so they can come back together. Yeah. So can, can we do that then? Can I have you back to Absolutely. go over the details of that? And uh, before we get off the air here, why don't you let the listeners know how they can learn more about you and your counseling practice? Ah, so I'm at Crossroads Counseling Associates and we have a website. Um, it's www.crossroads-counseling.net. Okay. Um, and I encourage them to check me out or uh, Google me if they want some more information. And um, yeah, well, MJ, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah. Thanks for being here on the program this time. Thank you. And listeners, we're always glad that you're with us and we are going to do a bonus episode that will also have all of the kind of how to's on this therapeutic separation. So be sure to check in with us uh, probably later on this week that we will actually be releasing that bonus episode. But we look forward to having you back here again next time on the Pure Sex Radio broadcast. Thanks. 
Pure Sex Radio is paid for by Be Broken Ministries. Visit us online at puresexradio.com.